Praise the Lord. That was tremendous. Amen. Amen. How's a big old guy got such a high voice? Amen. <laughs> I said, how's such a big guy got such a high voice? Amen. Well, uh, I want to also echo uh, Brother Vincent and uh, Brother Matt's uh, gratitude. The church, of course, uh, I travel just about every week of the year somewhere on average. And uh, I'm not just saying this. I mean it from all my heart. By my heart tonight, there's a handful of places that I go every year. Uh, over and over again, this has become one of those places, and I always start looking forward to it a few weeks before, uh, knowing it's just going to be a great time of fellowship. And uh, I always get help when I come here, not just from the preaching, but from uh, your pastor. He's got such a, uh, you probably already know this, he's uh, got such a great mind, and uh, but I don't know if it's monthly, but probably at least every three or four weeks I get a text from your preacher. And it's some thought he got out of his devotion, some thought that the Lord gave him. And it just blesses my heart that uh, you have a real man of God here at Lighthouse Baptist Church. And of course, I love his family dearly. And uh, certainly appreciate all of you. Thank you. And from the bottom of my heart, I mean this. Thank you for loving my dear friend, Brother Vincent. And uh, the uh, you have found out, I told a preacher, we were trying to get some meetings scheduled for him. And uh, Brother, of course, Manning said, you know, absolutely we want him to come without even knowing uh, yeah, a lot of details. But I told him just a little bit that Brother Vincent, come on in, don't worry. I ain't worried about folks being in the lobby, you can come on in. I told him a little bit about Brother Vincent's uh, testimony. And uh, uh, hopefully, preacher, you all haven't been disappointed. Amen. He was such a gracious man, and uh, uh, th he thought it was funny today. He had us all laughing in a car. Uh, <laughs> Pastor and Mrs. Manning they kissed each other and told each other they loved each other when we picked Sister Manning up, and uh, Brother Vincent said, we don't do that in our country. Uh, the, uh, you don't you know, say it over and over again. He goes, when you do, he said, we're wondering, does your wife not know that she, you love her? Amen. So the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Sister Manny made it very clear to the preacher that she still wants to hear it, amen, on a regular basis. But uh, the, hopefully we help Brother Vincent in that area, amen. Second uh, uh, Samuel chapter 19 tonight, it's our final night, and I do want to say to the church, uh, the uh, I greatly commend you for being here uh, every service. I know that uh, you look forward to it, but I also know this is a real commitment. This is a great yes, sacrifice. And... Uh, I want to just be pastoral tonight, if you would let me be. It is Wednesday night. We're going to study our Bible a little bit. Good. And uh, here's my challenge as we end another great missions conference and a missions fall revival here at Lighthouse Baptist Church, is what did God speak to you about this week? I'm sure we would all say tonight, the food's been great, the fellowship's been great, Music's been off the charts. Preaching's been great. The uh, You heard some of the best this week, and I don't mean at the end, I mean in the beginning, amen? Uh, you heard uh, my friend and one of, I think, the greatest Christians in the world. You heard mm -hmm. Brother Daryl Cox yes, sir. in the beginning of the week, of course. Brother Lamont is a phenomenal preacher. And yes, uh, who else did you have, preacher? Brother Monty Watts. Yeah, Brother Monty Watts Jr., of course. Uh, what a great man of God he is. And then, of course, uh, Brother Vincent and uh, the uh, Dr. Gray. And I mean, you've heard great preaching this week. You've heard a lot of truths. But we've got to do something with it now. One of the problems of being faithful to church is you get accountable for a bunch of stuff. Because mm -hmm. you, you heard a bunch of stuff. Amen? See, we're not going to be held, in the eyes of God, we're not going to be held accountable for how much 
of the Bible we know, we're going to be held accountable for how much of the Bible he gave us. Right. Wow. We can't say, well, I didn't know that. He's going to say at the judgment seat, ignorance is no excuse. That's right. uh, you ever told a policeman you didn't know the speed limit was what yes, he said it was? And did you notice that then not only did not help, it all might have made it worse. Because then he's thinking, you're just gallivanting down the road, you ain't paying attention to nothing, you are a threat to society. <laughs> so tonight, I want to take you on a quick journey, a very historical story. Stand with me if you would. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 19 tonight. I want you to also find one other place. If you would find the 41st chapter of Jeremiah, 2 Samuel 19 is where we're going to read from to open up tonight, but I want you to also find and use your ribbon there in your Bible or bulletin or something there, or track something to mark a Jeremiah 41 because when I ask you to turn there in a little bit, you'll know we're at the end of the message. That's going to be our landing spot tonight. And uh, let me pick up in chapter 19, 2 Samuel. I'm going to begin in verse 31. The uh, story here is when David is fleeing from Jerusalem because his son Absalom has stole the hearts of the people and has led a revolt, led a coup, and he has overthrown his father's kingdom. David, with an entourage of some of his most loyal people have to flee from uh, Jerusalem. They cross the Jordan River and they enter into what we call the Trans-Jordan Plain or what we will find out here in a few moments tonight in the Bible days of this story, it was known as Gilead. The, uh, you'll remember when the children of Israel came into the Promised Land, two and a half of the tribes the tribes of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh asked Joshua if they could stay on the east side of the Jordan River and not enter the Promised Land. You remember it almost started a civil war. And uh, they had to commit and vow to Joshua that when the children of Israel were engaged in any battles in the Promised Land, they would cross the river and help their brethren fight the battles. Well, this is the region that David flees to. Pick up with me tonight, if you will, verse 31. And Barzillai, notice where he's from, the Giladite. This tells us that he is a member of the tribe of Manasseh and an inhabitant of ancient Gilead, this region east of the Jordan River. The Bible says in Barzillai, the Giladite, came down from Rogelim, that was his hometown, and went over Jordan with the king. The king, of course, is David. To conduct him over Jordan. Now, Barzillai was a very aged man. Even four score years old. I don't want to make anybody feel bad tonight, but if you're 80 years of age or older, God says you are an old timer. Amen? Very aged, the Bible says. I've often been fascinated. Remember when God told Joshua there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed? The, uh, he said that to Joshua when the Bible says he was 80 years of age and God told him that he was an old man. And uh, can I just say tonight, when the Ancient of Days says you're old, you're old, amen? <laughs> so uh, he's an aged man, the Bible says. Notice, if you will, the next statement. The Bible says, for he was a very 
great man. That's the end of verse 32. But look at the middle phrase between telling us his age and that he was a great man. It says, and he provided the king sustenance while he lay at Manam. We're going to come right back here and keep on reading. But just uh, the uh, mark that real quick, if you will, and flip back a page or two to chapter 17. Let me show you what he did for the king. When the Bible says he provided the king of sustenance while he lay at Manam. Verse 27 of chapter 17, notice. And it came to pass when David was come to Manam. Three men are introduced to us. The first uh, is this man named Shobai, the son of Nahash, of Rabbah, of the children of Ammon, and Maker, the son, and I won't even read, uh, the Emil of Lodabar, the, uh, and Barzillai, the Giladite of Rogelim, now look at verse 28, brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched corn and beans and lentils and uh, parched pulse and honey and butter and sheep and cheese of kind. Notice, for David and for the people that were with him. To eat, for they said, the people is hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Barzillai with these other two men, uh, the uh, Shobai and uh, Maker, uh, the uh, R.A. Blessing to David when David has very few friends. He comes to David's aid when David is a fugitive. David uh, is a uh, he, he is a uh, not a prisoner of war, but his flight is because he would be a prisoner of war right. had he stayed in Jerusalem. Right. Thank God for those people when we're in our low points in our life. Yes, sir. That show up. Amen. And show us what it means to be a real Christian. Can I say this tonight? If you really want to convince me you love me, I'm going to tell you when you're going to have to convince me is when I'm the least lovable. Anybody, listen, can tell you they love you, but I'm going to tell you when it's going to really matter is when I need a friend and I ain't got nothing to offer you except a broken story, a heartache, a disappointment, a devastation. Don't be the kind of a friend that you only show up when everything's good. I'm just telling you, there's a reason the Bible says there's a friend that sticketh closer than Amen. a brother. Because the truth of the matter is sometimes we don't get anything out of the friendship we just give. That's what Barzillai has done for King David in our text tonight. Flip back now to chapter number 19 where we'll finish reading. The Bible says at the end of verse 32 that he's a very great man. Verse 33 is key tonight. It says, and the king said unto Barzillai, Come thou over with me, and I will feed thee with me in Jerusalem. I've given the message tonight two titles. The first title I've given the message tonight is a right request and a wrong response. Look at the response in verse 34 to David's request. And Barzillai said unto the king, How long am I to live that I should go up with the king unto Jerusalem? I am this day fourscore years old. Can I discern between good and evil? Can thy servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any more the voice of singing men and singing women? Wherefore then should thy servant be yet a burden unto my lord the king? 
Thy servant will go a little way over Jordan with the king. And why should the king recompense me with such a reward? Let thy servant, I pray thee, turn back again, that I, might, that I may die in mine own city and be buried by the grave of my father and of my mother. But behold thy servant Shimham. Let him go over with my lord the king. And do to him what shall seem good unto thee. Let me just throw this out before we're done reading here and sit down in a moment. This is a very unique thing that Barzillai says to King David. When he says, I'm not going to go with you over the Jordan River, but he said, why don't you take Shemham in my place? You say, who's Shemham, preacher? He is Barzillai's youngest son. Now there's an interesting paradox here, Brother Carpenter. Barzillai is actually saying, all the things that you want to do for me, David, why don't you do it for my son, Shimham? Now do not get offended at what I'm about to say. There is a, in my honest opinion tonight, some serious hypocrisy in what Barzillai has just said. What he's actually said was, I want God to do something big in my children's life. But I'm just going to stay where I'm at in my life. Well, I want the young people to go for God, but I, I, I'm not going any farther for God. Can I say, my friend, you never reach an age where you can quit growing. We never reach an age where we still don't need to do what we can for the Lord. Hey, listen, my friend, you never reach a place, nor do I, where we can excuse unfaithfulness, excuse lackadaisicalness, excuse half-heartedness. Don't get offended. For years I've watched this phenomenon, brother. Many people are faithful to church. I mean, every time the doors are open when their kids are growing up. But then when the kids are out of the house, yes, sir. they just show up Sunday morning. Yep. Miss half the services throughout the summer. Yep. Exactly. Preacher ain't been telling me nothing. I don't know who that who I'm talking to. I just own a church this size. I'll guarantee you that phenomenon happens here too. You know what that tells me when people do that? That they were really just coming to church because they needed help raising their kids. Yes, sir. Can I just say this tonight? You never mature to the place in your Christian life. You don't need to be in church every time doors are open. You never reach a place of maturity in your Christian life that you don't need to be a soul winner anymore. That's right. Barzillai is actually saying to David, let my son experience what you're talking about. I want to stay where I'm at. I don't want to go any further. Can I say it this way? He said, I'm in a comfort zone and I think I want to stay there. Y'all with me tonight? Look what David says. And the king answered, Shemham shall go over with me. And I will do to him that which shall seem good unto thee. And whatsoever thou shalt require of me, that will I do for thee. He said, I'm going to be as good to Shemham as I would have been to you, Barzillai. And all the people went over Jordan. And when the king was come over, the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him. And he returned unto his own people. The king went on to Gilead and Shimham went on with him and all the people of Judah conducted the king and also half the people of Israel. Be seated tonight. Thank you for standing as long as you did.
As I've already mentioned tonight, this famous, famous story, the backdrop is the rebellion of Absalom. You'll remember that at the end of Absalom's rebellion, he is riding a mule uh, the, uh, through a clearing in the woods and uh, the Bible says that his long hair got entangled uh, with the branches of an oak tree. Right. The mule ran on and there's Absalom stranded in the tree. Right. David had given a command that the young man was not to be hurt. Right. David's presumptuous general, Joab, Yes, sir. We we give Joab some grief, but you do need to know that Joab saw some of David's failures. He did. Joab doesn't feel towards Absalom like David does. All the heartache, all the uh, the uh, uh, the trials, all the tribulations that have come upon King David and his government because of Absalom's rebellion in the mind of Joab, his execution is justified, and he assassinates Absalom. David gets wind. He's in Rogel and he's with Barzillai on the other side of the Jordan River in Gilead. He gets word that Absalom's been killed. The rebellion's been put down and David now begins to make preparations to return to his capital city and his palace. But I want to remind you tonight that when David gets word of his son's death, mm-hmm. David weeps uncontrollably. And he prays and cries out a very unusual statement. He said, Absalom, Absalom, my son. He said, would to God that I had died for thee. You might wonder, why would a man say that? About a man that just overthrew him. A Benedict Arnold, a rebellious son that tried to destroy his dad's kingdom. Well, David was absolutely, in my mind, before his failure with Bathsheba, the hero of the Old Testament. Yes, sir. He's the one who killed Goliath. He's the one who wrote the great Psalms of Israel. He was the shepherd when God needed a replacement for Saul who turned into a tyrant and a sovereign. God looked for a shepherd boy. Amen. Because God wanted His people to be led by a shepherd, not led by a sovereign. That's good. But listen now. You remember there's a kink in David's armor. Prior to this time, we would have thought of David, if we'd have put any name next to David's in one sentence, we would have said David and what? Goliath. But now there's another name. And it's David and Bathsheba. You know the story. The time the kings go forth to battle, David stayed home. And I've heard elaborate descriptions of how it happened. The truth is we only know so much on what the Bible gives us. We can make some assumptions, but somehow, someway, David observed her bathing from his side of the fence and she was a beautiful woman. And in a weak moment, David inquired about her. And Before this scene was over, David had committed the sin of adultery. Preacher friend of mine, Brother Alan Jones, pastor for many years, Brother Manning in Lebanon, Ohio, the Temple Baptist Church, heard him say this many times in preaching. He said, people don't fall into adultery. A fall implies you stumbled. He said, people jump into adultery. 
You didn't fall into sin if you committed adultery. You planned it. You perpetuated it. It, it, was, it was, you were hearing the Spirit of God tell you no while you were headed toward it. It's a presumptuous sin. David commits this sin and he gets word shortly thereafter from Bathsheba that she is a child. This presents David with a dilemma because she's still another man's wife. And to make matters even more complex, her husband is one of his mighty men. David doesn't just steal another man's wife. David steals a man who was giving his life for David. You know his name. His name's Uriah the Hittite. David brings him off the battlefield to cover his sin up. The sin is never as bad as the cover-up is. Hmm. The cover-ups will get you in trouble. Best thing you and I can do when we mess up is just say, I messed up. Yes, sir. I need to be forgiven. I, I, I repent. I want to get right with God. That's good. It's that cover-up that undoes you every time. Yeah. I think about your coach a few years back, Jim Pressel. He's a great man. He's a great coach. He didn't get in trouble because I mean, some players were selling jerseys and stuff. I mean, he lost his job. You know what cost him his job? It wasn't that. It was a lie about it. It was a cover-up. Right. Can I tell you? I know it's in our human nature. We've been doing it since Adam and Eve sinned the garden. God showed up. What had they done? They had made fig leaves to cover themselves and they were hiding in the trees. You know what people do? We've been doing it since the beginning of time. When we sin, we hide and we try to cover. That's right. Well, you know the rest of the story. David elaborately goes through all these steps to try to get Uriah to go home, hoping that Uriah will be intimate with his wife, and it will seem like the child is his. Uriah's got so much honor. He's got so much integrity. He's I can't go home to my wife when the armies of Israel are in the battlefield. David tries every way he can, and finally David even gets him drunk. I mean, you talk about traffic. What a mess. And even drunk. Uriah had more honor than David in this time in his life. Mm. And when David realized he could not get Uriah to go home, David summoned him to the palace and gave him a letter. Yes, sir. And told him to deliver it to Joab. And when he did, y'all know that letter, it was his death warrant. Yeah, it was. He told Joab to put him in the hottest part of the battle, put him where the chance of survival was, the, was the, the slimmest, and sure enough, Uriah the Hittite was killed. Well, it appeared as though that David had gotten away with his sin. And that's when a bony-fingered man of God showed up to David's house and said, right. we got to have a conversation, David. He said, there's a man in the kingdom that the, uh, has a, a great uh, flocks, uh, great herds. Uh, he's a very wealthy man. Uh, and uh, he had a neighbor that had one little old ewe lamb and uh, he had company come by, uh, some strangers visiting. And uh, rather than going into his fields or his barns, uh, he went to his neighbor's house and stole his one ewe lamb to feed his stranger, his friend that had passed through. David, enraged by what he heard, said, the man that's done this must restore fourfold. Nathan put his phony finger in David's face and said, thou art the man. Mm -hmm. Why did David cry? Absalom, Absalom, my son. Would it God that I died for thee? I'll tell you why it was. Because David could count. 
Not long after David's cover-up and confrontation that he had with the man of God, the child born to him, Bathsheba, was sick. You remember David was fasting, mourning for the child, begging God, but word came that the child had died. You know what that death was? That was lamb number one. Not long after David's one of his sons fell in love with one of his stepsisters and warned her so bad that he didn't do it the right way. She even told him, go to dad, ask him if we can get married. I know he'll give you what you asked for, but Ammon had a friend. Can I say, young people, you better be careful who your friends are. Amen. Bible says he had a friend, his name was Jonadab, and he said, listen, Ammon, you're the king's son. You can have anything you want. If you want her, take her. He invites her to his house and rapes her. Then he throws her out on the street like a piece of trash. And as she walks the streets, she's walking like a dead woman. She's been robbed of her most valuable possession, her virtue. In the economy of an Old Testament woman, that was synonymous with death. You know what Tamar is? She's lamb number two. Now here's where things get real complicated. Amnon was her stepbrother. But her full-fledged blood brother was absent. That's right. And Absalom was enraged what had happened to his sister. But he was careful and calculated. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do anything right away. He waited till Amnon put his guard down. Yes, sir. Two full years and he invites him to a party. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And Amnon thinks, man, it's been two years. Everything's okay, man. I, everything's fine. And he goes to Absalom's house. And that day, he's assassinated by his brother. When Amnon was killed, that was lamb number three. The reason David is weeping, the reason David is crying out of the men when Absalom is killed is because David knows that he is lamb number four. He's reaping what he is sowed. Do you know that some of the greatest psalms David would ever write? I'm going to be honest with you. Several of my favorites he wrote after the fall. That's right. He wrote after the cover-up. He wrote after the murder. He wrote after. I mean, how do you? How can any Christian get through the, the Christian life without reading the fifty-first Psalm? If David's crying out for forgiveness, begging God to renew a right spirit within him, to wash him and make him white as snow, David—that's literally his repentance prayer after his failure. Yes, sir. Even though God uses him again and uses him greatly, he still suffers the consequences. Yes, he does. I'll be saying, while I'm not trying to discourage you tonight, can I just plead with you to hear me tonight? You may get forgiven, but you'll still pay for your sin. Yes, sir. God's forgiveness does not cancel out our debts <coughs> when those debts involve other people that we have wounded and hurt and Here's the truth tonight. Someone wisely said, you can choose your sin, but you cannot choose the consequences. Mm. 
every pleasure you enjoy is going to be paid for. Nothing is free. So when I violate the truth of God's word, it will not be without consequence. That's right. This really isn't my message tonight, but I'm trying to set the stage so you understand the depth of where we're heading here in just a moment. Can I remind everyone tonight, the songwriter said it so profoundly when he said, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll cost you far more than you want to pay, and it'll keep you far longer than you want to stay. Yes, sir. My advice tonight is just do right. Amen. There's really two philosophies young people of living. One philosophy is play now and pay later. Or you can live the philosophy of pay the price when you're young. And then when you age and mature, you can play a little bit more. There's really only two ways to live. Pay now, play later. Or play now and pay later. We all know people that lived it up so wild oats when they were young. It looked like they were having fun, but what we didn't keep track of is how long it took them to pay for that. Yes, sir. Two, three marriages later, his kids, her kids, broken home, all kinds of alimony, child support. Guess what that is? That's playing first and paying later. Yes, sir. So I don't know, know what I want to do in my life. Well, James, I'll tell you what to do. Get an education. Get a trade. Young men, before you get married, you need to have money in the bank. You need to probably even have a house purchased. I mean, I know you think she can live off of love, but them women are expensive, man. If you think you're going to get it done without money, I'm just telling you, you're in for a surprise. And ladies, can I say this, ladies? I, this ain't in the sermon, but I think I'm supposed to say this. <laughs> ladies, do not. Hey, listen, hold out. Don't jump in the first bozo that comes down the tracks. And even when you get the right one, man, hold out. Hey, listen, I've said this for years, Brother Matt, that courtship, the length of a courtship, is the man's education in how to treat a woman. If you fall in his arms three months after you, you meet him, what you told him is, and I ain't worth much. Make the sucker date you two or three years. Make him spend a bunch of money on you. When he gets your rock, make sure it's one you need. Yeah, I mean, you almost need help holding your hand up and so ahead. Amen. But we just love each other. Hey, that's going to last about six weeks. She's going to want to go shopping, sir. She's going to need some money, man. You can either play now and pay later, or you can pay right now and play later. I'd rather pay now and play later personally. But that's not the sermon tonight. That's the foundation. When Absalom overthrows the kingdom, David has to flee for his life and he ends up crossing the Jordan River and meets the man of our text tonight, Barzillai. Barzillai shows kindness and loyalty to David in his hour of desperation. And at the end of the nightmare, as David begins making his way back to his capital, he makes a request. Thus the title of my message tonight, a right request and a wrong response. David says, Barzillia, I want to throw an idea at you. Why don't you come home with me? Why don't you let me for the remainder of your life do for you what you did for me? 
Come to the palace and you'll never have another worry. You'll never have another need. You'll never, I mean, you won't have to do anything. You're going to get spoiled rotten. You're going to be like a child of a king for the remainder of your days. Barzillai responds, thanks, but no thanks. Right request. Wrong response. I told you I had a second title. I'm going to give you th- four quick statements. Preach around in a minute. We're going to be done tonight. But I do want to give you the second title. I'm going to stick with my original one, but I want you to think of this one while we're going through the remainder of the message tonight. And here's the second title I gave this message. Why would anybody say no to the king? Well, why would anybody say no? To the king. And I'm not talking about King David, I'm talking about King Jesus. Right, that's right. Let me make four observations tonight about this man, Brazilian, quickly. Let's think for a moment about his character's reliability. I said his character's reliability. The Bible says he is a great man. I'll go so far out on the limb, add my two cents here tonight. Not only, as verse 32 says, was he a very great man, I believe he was a very good man, Brother Matt. This guy uh, ran to David. I mean, he picked the right side. Uh, he chose uh, uh, the, as you're well aware of tonight, a lot of people yesterday did not make the right choices across America. That's true. My goodness, we were hoping for a red wave, man. We got us a mess tonight. We're in trouble, man. I hope I ain't scaring you. But I don't think we got a whole lot to shout about tonight. We do in Jesus, but we don't in Washington. <laughs> Thank God Vance won, amen. Thank God your governor won. I don't know how anybody can stay in Michigan. Man, I mean, every leftist in the world, everybody on the left won in Michigan. Michigan had a, a, a ballot initiative yesterday that was one of the worst abortion laws ever written in the past by massive majorities yesterday. It literally is farther left than Roe v. Wade was. It, one of the provisions said you can kill the baby right up to birth. We've all heard of late-term abortion. It's now legal in Michigan. People are going to be coming from all over the nation to go to Michigan to have their babies killed. Can you imagine being a state that's known for butchering babies now? And boy, they're all proud. They're, they're all the left are just having a party in Michigan. It was all over the news today. One of the provisions in that new legislation is no parental consent for, for abortion. So if your 15-year-old daughter gets pregnant, she can get aborted, and you don't have to be informed. That's not law in Michigan. You know what we really got yesterday? We got what we deserve. You know that's what happened, don't you? Elections really reflect the condition of the hearts of people who make the, the decisions. I'm not being mean to you. I'm, 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 in the, I'm included. We're all paying for how good God's been to us and how careless we've been with the grace God's given us. But that's not the sermon tonight. This guy's a good guy. He's a great man. Thank God he uh, chose David. Thank God he was such a blessing as chapter 17 laid out for us a minute ago. Let me tell you what Barzillai was. Let me give you a typology, a picture of Barzillai in the New Testament. In our day, Barzillai would be the type or the picture of a rock-solid church member. 
As a matter of fact, the name Barzillai actually means iron-hearted. Hmm. Which implies that not only was his inner person rock solid, but I think it's not only a reference for the carpenter to his condition, I think it also is a reference to his disposition. What do you mean, Brother Jenkins? Do not get offended at this. But he's one of these old boys. Bless God, his mind is made up. You say, anything wrong with that? No, except if you're wrong. <laughs> you know, it's not wrong to change if you're wrong. I'm thankful for people that are faithful and settled in what they believe and rock solid and dependable. I'm thankful for all that. But can I just say tonight, do not mistake stubbornness with strong convictions. Well, Some people are settled, but they're also stubborn as a mule. Bless God, I ain't changing. Well, that's wonderful to know. But what if God tells you to change? What if the preacher preaches something that's different than what you're doing? You don't want to change. You know the classic statement, preacher, I'm sure you've never heard this here at Lancaster with one well, of the classic statements in most Baptist churches is we ain't never done it that way before. <laughs> We've always done it this way. Yeah. Now I'm for not there's no reason to mix things up just for the sake of mixing it up. But hey, you know, it was Einstein who said the universal law of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and hoping for a different result. You know, sometimes when something stops working, what we ought to do is stop doing it. No offense, Brother Benson, but tell her you love her once in enough. Yeah. How many ladies would be okay if you asked your husband if he loves you? And he told you yes, and you asked him why, and he said, because God said I have to. <laughs> How many ladies would be excited about that? I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, sir, if that's what you say. You're going to be sleeping on a couch for a few days. Or if you are in the bed, it's going to be like a trampoline between the two of you because you're both going to be so fully tight and your sheets on your side that you can bounce on it. Amen. Marcelia's rock solid, but I think he's also stubborn. I don't want to get on a rabbit trail tonight, but I do want to remember, remind you that when God was getting rid of King Saul. And remember when he came back from the uh, slaughter of the Amalekites and uh, there were sheep bleeding and then Agag, the king of the Amalekites, is with him. And uh, the uh, chamber said, Hey, uh, uh, what meat of the bleeding sheep? Uh, uh, God told me to tell you to kill all of them. Bring nothing back. And he said, Look, I brought the best stuff back for an offering. Yeah. And that's what God told the man of God to tell him that to obey is better than sacrifice. That's right. And the heart of the fat of lambs. And then he said, For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Right. That's about as far as we ever read in that verse. But then it goes on to talk about stubbornness. Yes, sir. And idolatry. Exactly. I know a lot of independent Baptists tonight who think they got strong convictions. They're really just stubborn. Mm. They're really just obstinate. Come on. Talking tonight about his character's reliability. I'm hurrying to the finish line tonight. 
Can I show you something else? One more time, look at verse 33. That's the request. And the king said unto Barzillai, Come thou over with me, and I will feed thee with me in Jerusalem. Not only do we see, number one, the character's reliability tonight. Catch this tonight. We also see the communion possibility. Please don't miss this. If you don't get nothing else tonight, you need to remember this. There's two great truths about the Bible you must never forget. Truth number one. The Bible is not a book about men. It is a book about God. That's so good. Let me say that again. The Bible is not a book about men. It's a book about God. Every single story about men in the Bible is really simply a story about God showing us how He interacts with men, how he, uh, we can trace Him, uh, we can uh, learn about God, and how other people encountered God. Uh, the, uh, while there's all kinds of stories in the Bible involving men, they're really stories about God. It's good. It's good. That's truth number one, but here's truth number two. I dealt with this a little bit last night, but let me develop it a little bit further. All blessings in the Bible, all blessings in the Bible, in the economy of God, it is never about blessings, but rather about you and I being with God. The blessings follow being with God. Remember, as I illustrated last night, the story of the prodigal. When he left for the far country with the blessings, the great tragedy was he had the blessings, but he left the blesser behind. And when his blessings ran out he not only did not have the blessings any longer he also no longer had the blesser that's when he came to himself and headed back to the house we're all worried about stuff you know we are let us lose our job preacher I'm not saying that's a small deal, man. If I lost my job tonight, I'd be, I'd be apprehensive as well. But isn't it funny? We'll say to people, trust God, trust God. He'll take care of you. And then we find out we need Him to care, take care of us. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, if you've lost your job recently, I'm praying for you. My heart goes out to you. But hear me well tonight. Don't start fretting get closer to God. Amen. Draw nigh to God. Mm. You know the rest of the verse. And He will draw nigh to you. Here's what's amazing, preacher. We all know this. You preach this. I preach it. Every step that we take towards God actually is two steps. Because each time you take a step towards God, He takes a step towards you. This is an amazing truth tonight. It may not sound very deep, but it's an amazing truth. Do you know tonight that every need you got, God knows about all of it. He's already got the resources ready to give it to him. But he's such a gentleman. He is such a wonderful God. He's not going to force it on you. You have to ask him for it. So why does he make me ask for it? Because he wants to have a relationship. 
what do we call what do they call him when the angel told Joseph not to put Mary away? Right. He said, you're going to get the name of Joseph. We're going to call his name Jesus. And here's what he said. He said he's actually Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God, say it out loud tonight, with us. When he chose his first of the uh, uh, disciples, those that would form the original apostles of the Lamb, uh, the Bible says in Mark 3 that he ordained 12 that they should be with him. And then he sent that, that they might send them forth to preach. Uh, there's two emphasis in that verse ministry second and intimacy first. Yes, sir. Long before he sent them forth to preach, the Bible says that they should be with him. That's good. You know what God wants tonight? He wants communion with you. He wants connection to you. He wants a relationship with you. This is so sweet and so simple. God is seeking men who are seeking God. Hey, listen. The abundant life that Jesus promised in John 10.10, 10, I've come that they might have what? Life and they might have it what? Abundant. Do you know the abundant life is not somewhere? It is not something. The abundant life is someone. It's not a place. It's a person and His name is Jesus. The abundant life is simply... Living your life allowing Jesus to live through you. John 15 says, Abide in me, and I'll abide in you. That's good. And you'll bring forth much fruit. Abiding in Christ. Living the crucified life. Paul said, I live, yet nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Yes, sir. You're dead and your life is hit with Christ in God. That's good. See, when Jesus died on the rugged cross, you actually died and I died with Him. He rose from the grave. We rose with him. Amen. You and I are supposed to, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible says these words, Brother Mac. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. You know what your life is tonight? Hey, listen, I like to hunt, but hunting's not my life. I love to preach, but preaching ain't my life. My life tonight, if I'm right with God, is Jesus. What Jesus is offering you and I tonight is the same thing David was offering Barzillai. He wasn't giving Barzillai any list to keep. He wasn't asking Barzillai to change something in his life. All he was asking Barzillai, would you come home with me and could we spend the rest of your life and my life walking together and talking together and fellowshipping together. He said, why don't you come to the palace? I'd like you to experience for the remainder of your days kingdom blessings. Amen. You know the Canaan land 
as the preacher so profoundly reminded us last night, is not a picture of heaven. Right. Canaan land is a picture of the victorious Christian life. When they crossed the Red Sea leaving Egypt, that body of water's crossing was a picture of salvation. When they came to the Jordan River, that body's crossing was a picture of surrender. Of living by faith. My dear friend, Brother Sammy Allen, if you never heard Brother Sammy Allen preach, you missed out on one of life's great blessings. Yes, sir. He was one of the most unusual preachers I've ever met in my life. I mean, never heard him preach, ever, where he ever preached less than at least a hundred verses quoted in his sermon. I had ladies in my church, every time we'd have Brother Sammy in, they'd, they'd keep track. It was sort of a game to them. Many times, preacher, he preached probably 15, 20 times at Grace. I'm sure at least probably two-thirds of the time, they'd come and say, preacher, 231 verses he quoted tonight. He had one sermon he preached. I've heard he preached it probably 20 times with him around the country, preaching to my church. Called what time is it? Had oh, 12, yes, sir. Had 12 points. Preaching time. One first point was it's preaching time. Yeah. Yeah. It's praying time. It's praising time. It's plowing time. It's plant time. I mean, it's all peace. Yes, but it, uh, I've been with him where he preached one or two points. I was with him one night to preach all 12 of them. I was with him just a year or so before he went to heaven. He said something I'll never forget as long as I live. He was at the end of it, we were preaching at camp in Charlotte, Michigan. His coat was on, his hat was on, he had just preached his heart out for probably an hour and a half. He was soaking wet. While the invitation was going on, he said, Brother Green, Brother Jim Green, the pastor, the moderator of that meeting, he said, Brother Jimmy, can I can I say another word? And of course he was going to tell Sammy Allen he can't say no more. And he shaped when he, last year of his life when he talked, and I still remember it while he was shaking. But man, he said, I just want to testify tonight. He said, I've conducted now, he's pastor of a great church for many years, the, uh, but was the founder of the great Faith Baptist Camping in Versailles, Georgia. A big old camping grounds had a, a, the 1800-seat tabernacle, had a 1500-seat dining hall, dormitories, I mean, people for decades would go to Faith Baptist Camp. Three campings a year, June meeting, August meeting, and a Thanksgiving meeting. I preached every one of them. And several of those meetings I preached probably 15 times. Brother Sammy said that night in that meeting, under forget preacher, he said, I have preached in my ministry over 2,000 revival campaigns. Many of them extended meetings. I know one meeting he had lasted six weeks long. They had over 300 people saved in it. Wow. Amen. I'm talking six weeks like you just went through. Not getting off on Friday night, Saturday night. Six straight weeks. Never, never missed a service. Had over 300 people saved. Mm. Old Brother Samuel standing up there. He's soaking wet. He, he wore out from preaching that night and he says, you may get weary in the work. But he said, I've never gotten weary of the work. I've never forgot those words, brother man. I may get weary in the work, but I never am going to get weary of the work. What Brother Sammy was saying is he had a lot of miles on him, but he wasn't going to turn back. He wasn't going to quit. He wasn't disappointed that living for God involved some valleys and involved some battles. Right. I remember hearing Brother Sammy, he said this, 
I'd heard him say this many times. He said, I don't like the song on Jordan Stormy Banks I stand. He said, I'm not standing on Jordan Stormy Banks. He said, I crossed over a long time ago. He said, I'm already living in Kingdom Land. He said, it's about time some of y'all get off the bank tonight and get over the river and get going for Jesus. Amen. That's all David's offering, verse of the eye. He's saying, come get closer. Mm. You're going to live like you've never lived. You think it's good now. Wait till you're the child of a king. But he said, that ain't why I'm doing it. That's going to be the friend's benefits. But I want to get closer to you. I want to pay you back for being my friend when no one else was my friend. Mm. Can I plead with everyone under the sound of my voice tonight to hear me? God's not trying to take anything from you. He's wanting to give something to you. But then we see the wrong response. Verse 34. I'm not going to preach it all tonight, but he, he makes a list. And really it's just a bunch of excuses. I call this response from Barzillai... We see the character's reliability, the communion possibility. Let me give you this tonight. We see the change anxiety. He tells David, David, I would go with you, but he said, I'm an old timer. He said, man, I, I'm making plans for dying. I ain't making plans for living. Well, I'm planning on checking out here before long. I, I ain't got no vision for the future. I got no big plans. I'm making any preparations to be involved in. I'm just cruising now. I'm in, I'm in neutral now, David. He starts making excuses. He gives, first of all, Brother Matt, what I call the, the age factor. He's, I'm too old, man. I'm 80. Can I say something to y'all tonight? Stop acting like you got one foot in the grave already. That's good. I ain't trying to be unkind, but I'm going to tell you why you're always bellyaching about all your aches and pains because you're using your aches and pains as an excuse. I'm going to tell you what I discovered. I heard someone say, life begins at 40. That's not true. Maintenance begins at 40, brother. <laughs> Wait till you get to 60. I not only am spending 24-7 doing maintenance, but I'm way behind on maintenance. Amen. Man, everything's falling apart now, man. I used to go to a doctor and they'd say, they'd say, man, you're healthy as a horse. Now, they come back in and say, preacher, sit down. We need to talk. Amen. And I got this wrong and that wrong and this wrong. Man, I went to the doctor here last year, man, and did my physical. And man, she scared me to long death. She told me I had like five or six things wrong with me. I didn't go to the special, that specials. And uh, the, uh, she had me, I mean, she, she diagnosed me as something bad. And then like uh, two days later, said, oh, the blood draws came back. Everything's fine. <laughs> I said, wait a minute. Time out. I called her. I said, I don't want no text. What do you mean everything's fine? You had me convinced I had some terrible disease. She said, well, you don't. <laughs> man, it just comes with territory, man. Now, I, I have a big old truck. I can climb out of it. I've been riding around with Brother Vincent and Brother Matt this week in a little old car, man. If you've been noticing, Brother Matt, I mean, I, I like to have to crawl out. Man, I just don't bend like I used to be. 
I know you're thinking, well, I'll take up riding bike and then, yeah, bust my head like your preacher did. <laughs> he, he had enough sense to survive. I wouldn't probably have enough left over. Amen. Hey, listen. Hey, listen. Here's what I'd advise you to do. Live wide open until you die. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, preacher, but I did not like at all Marlene Evans. <laughs> Y'all love Dr. Evans. His first wife just rubbed me the wrong way. She was like someone taking their fingernails with me and rubbing them down a chalkboard. And while I'm in Bible college, I'm looking at my schedule one semester, and I had a required class I had to take of her called general psychology. I almost left college over. Bless God, I ain't taking no class from some woman. And I did sure ain't taking psychology. I didn't believe in psychology. I mean, I don't have me a meltdown. Bless God, what in the world is this about? It's a Bible class. What are we taking psychology for? And I had to take this class of all teachers. It was Marlene Evans. And I was dreading it. Dreading it. But that was the semester. Mrs. Evans got diagnosed with breast cancer. Yes. And she had to have a complete mastectomy. And she was on chemotherapy. She lost all her hair. She's wearing a wig. Yep. She'd come to class. She had like a, one of those studio chairs yep. behind the podium. She had a trash can next to her for puking. And she laughed and cut up that entire semester. That if she puked, just turn away and she'd wipe her face off and keep teaching. I did not like that woman. I thought she was, I'm going to be honest, I thought she was a loudmouth woman. By the end of that semester, Marlene Evans became one of the great heroes of my life. I don't think I learned anything about psychology that semester. I don't even know if she knew anything about psychology. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But she sure taught us how to live. I mean, I don't believe women preacher because she preached every time we come class. And she's chatting her mercy to man, she is preaching to us. And this is the best stuff I've ever heard in my entire life. Fell in love with that woman. Because she showed me as a young man, don't you make excuses. Whatever comes into your life, you use it for the glory of God. Don't you dare use it as an excuse not to serve God. Yeah. And she said it while she was sick as a dog the whole semester with chemotherapy running through her blood. She made a statement I've never forgotten. You've probably heard her statement, preacher. She said, I may, she said, I may die tomorrow. I may, I may live for another 20 years. And she did live another 15, 20 years. But here's what she said. I've made it my mind. I cannot determine when I'm going to die. But I've made it my mind. I'm going to live until I die. Amen. I would beg someone in this service tonight to make up your mind. You're going to live until you die. Don't give up your social class. So I'm 70, preacher. Hey, you got, you got 15, 20 at least on you. What are you quitting now for? What are you going to do, what are you going to do for the next 20 years? Watch TV every day? Hmm. You say, well, I can't visit my class like I used to. Okay, well, I'll bet you anything he won't fire you if you can't visit quite as much as you used to now that you're in your 70s. 
Can I just say this tonight? 